the girl was just 14. I've seen senators arrested. I've seen schemers get off clean. I take one little breather and they buy and sell my dream. Sometimes I think it's simpler than it seems. Sometimes I gotta scream. Welcome to Lulu. Let's talk about getting lonely and spying on people. I'm recording this into a lavalier mic as I cruise the aisles of the grocery store, watching how people do ordinary things. Grab things, push things, hold things, it's captivating. I'm afraid my lifestyle is making me weird. I know myself well enough to know the medicine would be to find a dive someplace and talk to somebody about some not Lulu stuff. Whatever they're into doesn't matter to me. College volleyball, interior design, maybe they have some half-baked theory I can hear about the Illuminati or prehistoric gravity. How to go about that? Ideas are percolating. In the meantime, there's a feral cat that keeps sniffing around my yurt. Cat food is what brought me to the store before I got distracted. I'm thinking about giving the cat a name and letting it inside, but so far I resist the temptation. Just a bag of dry food just this once. A scratch on the head when I come or go, when I say meow, I know, meow, meow. This morning I heard myself say to the cat, sometimes we all feel like motherless children, meow, meow. Meow, meow. I spend a lot of time tracking those on the outer edge, not unlike the feral cat, or I guess in a way myself. The bullied, the financially insolvent, the spiritually flailing, I won't list all the ways someone can be on the outer edge. Eventually, the forces on Hooper's Hill will seek a real root in the Lulu community. They don't want to be towering above, they want to be inside. In the marrow. When they make their move, they won't look to those comfortably served by what they're accustomed to. They'll look for individuals ripe for transgressive action. And they'll aim to guide miserable feelings toward ends that serve themselves. That's how they'd have Lulu eat itself from the inside. One such person jumps straight to mind. High school senior Candace Bauer. You know what I mean when I say a kid who walks? Like always wandering around without anywhere to be, so he kind of feels like he's everywhere. Georgie hangs out front the library, the coffee shop, the variety store, never checks out a book or pays for anything. So he goes to Stephanie's homecoming party. Whole class gets the invite, and if it's free, Georgie doesn't miss it. <laughs> Stephanie's mom thinks she's being nice, 
She says to him, Hey, Georgie, come on in. Help yourself to everything. I just want to offer you a shower first. I'm okay. I don't need a shower. Go ahead and take a shower, Georgie. Georgie, go ahead. Enjoy a nice warm shower. It was depressing. And he did it. Gets cleaned up, sits there with his hair all wet at the table, scarfing down nachos wearing Stephanie's dad's t-shirt. There's nothing major wrong with Georgie, but I'm sitting there feeling sorry for him, going, what makes me not that? Why does he make me feel so... this? So, it's the next day or so, I still got a grody taste in my mouth, and I'm walking up to the O'Connell's place, maybe a four-mile trip from the bus stop. Marianne says that I'm like a sitting duck for the wolves and doesn't want me to do that anymore, but how am I supposed to get anywhere? And I see Joe. See his tent pitched up in the Jackson's orchard. I hadn't heard he was back around, and my heart kind of did a thing. (laughs) And I realized... Holy crap, I want to see Joe. And, and, and then I thought, whoa, Candace, you want to see Joe? And then I thought, yeah, I want to see Joe. <laughs> Even called his name. And a little ways up, I guess Arnie Kramer flipped him a job digging holes. That'll set everybody off again. And there's Joe, digging a hole. <laughs> and he remembered me. My name, my situation, the foster home. He asked about me. He asks about school and graduation plans, and I tell him how I want to move in with Marianne and Carl. He says, that'd be weird. (laughs) And we have a good little back and forth. And it sounds like he's going to be around a while. Got some stuff lined up. And I ask him if I'll see him around sometimes. Check out the tent. Maybe even ride the horse. Maybe that way I won't have to walk around. Also on the subject of Candace Bauer, Police Sergeant Mary Ann O'Connell. I knew her mother. I arrested her mother. I testified against her mother. And now I think Candace Bauer wants us to take her in. She hasn't asked, but she couldn't imply much harder. And it's just a matter of time before she puts me in a position to have to say something. But I wonder if I should bring a 17-year-old girl into this home. And I think about what that says. About Carl. About Candace Bauer. About me. And then I strap a gun to my hip and I go to work. The police sergeant is living a double life. Recently, she said the following. And I make a beeline straight for the mayor's office because something shifty is going on up there and I need a looky-loo. I need paperwork. A warrant wasn't issued. Ink never touched paper. A key was never stroked by a human being. Rather, she was issued an automated computer response that simply said, Request processing. Doubtful. It isn't uncommon lately for the police sergeant to work 10, 12, 16 hours a day. She got a pull-out couch to go in her office at the station. 
It wasn't working just to go, go, go till she accidentally fell asleep at her desk, wake up with a bad neck. She invested in a coffee pot twice the size of the old one. She and Deputy Steve Steves the Fourth are in such a flow in their collaboration they don't even say hello or goodbye on the phone anymore. They'll just be talking again in a few minutes anyhow. Might as well go to shorthand. This is one of the police sergeant's lives. The other life concerns Candace Bauer. In volunteer hours at the soup kitchen, which despite the police sergeant's increased workload have gone up. In spontaneous donations to two non-profits, one local, one national, which weren't accounted for in the weekly household budget. And the nomad boy Joe, who she visits almost every time she passes the Jackson's Orchard on Salmon Creek. There's something to be made of the police sergeant and the orphan nomad, Joe. I don't understand what everyone thinks is so bad about my life with autism awareness. My horse. My, my friend, Police Sergeant O'Connell, she checks me out a book from the library and, you know, brings it to my tent. It changes my whole perspective on stuff. The, the book's on these people called the Steppe Nomads over in China and Russia a long time ago. These guys built their whole world around the horse. Just posted up in little shelters. Always be moving. You know, if they get caught in a bad situation or hurt for water, just make a little slit in the animal's neck and drink enough horse blood to keep riding. And they were the best archers ever. You know, the book says they could time an arrow between the clop of the hoofs when all four legs are in the air, floating. Nobody said that was weird. You got your little towns, cities, your markets, your houses, your routine, and, and these people don't know anything. They don't know what's coming. And, and the nomads, they ride in, and, and the town folk, they just lock up, just hope the problem goes away. And here's the step nomad, being patient, living off the mud, guys posted up, they just play games at the outer wall. You know, it talks about them making blankets out of rat pelts, drinking rain and puddles, eating bugs. And that's just what they call Tuesday. By the time the town's desperate enough to fight, the fight's already done. Nomads just take what they want, keep what's useful, move on to the next one. And everywhere they went, they left themselves. They just claimed homes in the in the towns they went to and, and turned into what they just wiped out. A generation, two generations later, nobody knew how to ride the horse. They didn't know how to fight, and the cities they took just got took from them, and they, and they got soft. I just got me this bow and arrow. I'm going to go get me a squirrel or something. Make a fire with a stick. Cook my squirrel on it.
half starving to stave off the getting soft. It's just a cough. This region has a long history with bootleggers, moonshiners, and rum runners. I doubt local scavenger Chesterfield Brownie Brown knows it, but my research turns up a distant relationship between Brown himself and a man called Roy Olmsted, who was simultaneously a Seattle police lieutenant and intrepid bootlegger during Prohibition. Carving out a niche below the board seems to seem like a very novel idea to Chesterfield Brownie Brown. I don't know about that. Brownie. Call my cousin out. He just did a bid for something stupid. I think it was a convenience store. He does the whole, stick him up, it's a robbery routine. Makes off with like 37 bucks and some sun chips. And I guess he doesn't want to bring the ski mask or pantyhose in the picture. So he just covers his face with the Sharpie marker, like to be in disguise. Turns out, that's not a good trick. They get up in the lineup right away. Witnesses go, that's the guy. That's definitely the guy. No doubt about it. That guy, just with marker on his face. So, he gets out, and I call him. And I say, hey, bud, you looking for a new thing? I could use a new thing, you know. What you thinking? And he hems and he haws. And I say, hey, buddy, you got about one more hem and about two more haws before I take it all off the table with swiftness. And he say, okay, 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 what you thinking? And so we go back and forth a minute. And finally, I say, I got a sum of money. And he say, how much? And I say, four figures, almost five. And he say, Where'd that come from? And I say, a magician never reveals his secrets. Because I'm being funny. But actually, I just uh, scrape it together, flipping cars from the police auction. Try to start me a retirement fund and stuff. And he say, okay. Like he wants me, you know, to say more. And I say, I know you've been around the block a time or two. If you think you know way, take that money, make it, more money, I'd put it up. And there's a long quiet on the line. And finally he say, get me on a Amtrak from Minneapolis. I'll be out there next week. And now it's next week and your man Brownie's on his way to the train station. Things have been very quiet on Hooper's Hill. The kind of quiet they say in sniper movies you never want to hear. Quiet you can't trust. Two days ago at 3.21 p.m., the machinery on the hill went silent and it stayed that way. There's no emission of light. Not a single worker has set foot in town during this time of silence. I'll confess it, I was trying to get away with something. Just once, I... I needed to step away just a minute. There's a town that's been on my radar since my arrival in Washington State, a place called Winthrop, about an hour outside of Lulu. Population 451. I was struck by the names of the watering holes. Six Knot Tap House, Copper Glands, Three Fingered Jack Saloon. Rugged names I found it impossible not to remember and think about. My recording devices were functioning beautifully. 
the feral cat outside my yurt was fed. It was doing mental gymnastics, trying to justify a short visit to Winthrop, where I could be a person, just for one stolen moment without a disguise, without a made-up backstory, where I could scratch this itch so I could get back to work. I had almost talked myself into it. No, I had talked myself into it. I was in my truck. I was on State Route 20 headed west and having this gnawing sense I was turning my back at the worst possible time. I was pulling onto the shoulder every few minutes to check the feeds from my equipment. Nothing. Drive another mile or two, stop, check equipment. And the voice in my head kept getting louder going, get real, storm chaser. You're not going to be able to unclench. This will be more stress than it's worth, just turn around. I was pulled over again, having that conversation with myself again, looking at my video feed again, berating myself again. When the gates on Hooper's Hill came open, and a single insidiously ordinary looking station wagon came puttering into town, do they know I exist? Do they know I'm here? It's like they were waiting for me to go. It isn't impossible. So I sped back east without a drop to drink in Winthrop, but a potent reminder about what is risked when resolve weakens. Well, the station wagon knew exactly where it was going and when. That station wagon made a direct route for a deeply bored and frustrated high school rowing captain. Now I have a brutal decision to make. If I were to break from ranks, if I were to risk blowing my cover to look out for someone, I suspect that person would be the rowing captain, Duncan Coons. My mom wouldn't let me have the car and I didn't have any money because I don't get any hours at my job. And so I had my back up against this wall and I'm just trying to toss these, these little rocks through this chain link fence, land them in a field that's just full of these like goat things. Uh, real exciting. And then this voice from way over there goes, go wolf squatch. You know how people talk down to high school is like we're stupid? You know, call us kids, ask us what we want for Christmas. So I'm like, this moron thinks I'm some moron. And I said to him, school spirit is violence. Because we talked about it in my current issues class, so. And I mean, this guy's just not worth my time. But he comes on up to me crouches down next to me and wraps his arms around his knees and he goes, yeah, school is dumb. And I say, uh-huh. And then he says, moms are dumb too. And I turn my head to look at him and he says to me, you play ball? He reaches up too and he gives my shoulder this, this creepy little squeeze. And I say, what ball? He says, any ball. I say, no. And he's like, yeah, sports are for conformists. And I say, but I'm the captain of the rowing team though, so. And he gets this look on his face and he's like, are you about to graduate? And I nod at him and he says to me, I feel bad about the whole conformist thing. He says, right, I'd like to make it up to you because I'm in charge of a little operation and I'm in the market for a sharp mind and a strong back. I mean, I don't know. I guess he likes how I talk about critical issues. And I mean, it looks like I got the stuff to get things done too. So he shakes my hand, right? He gives me a card, just some weird directions and a logo. It looks all sciencey. I don't know, but 
He says he wants to start me off at 50 an hour, which I think is more than my dad even makes right now, so... Yeah. Gave me a hard hat and a plaid shirt and everything, just like his. Smear between the rails. Welcome to Lulu. 